but it's a different meditation when you're dealing with imagery versus these sort of abstractions. I think there's a much more pure sort of act of meditation in, in making abstract work, at least for me, with the repetition of it and everything, than, than the actual working from observation or, or, or from imagery. Uh, there's a, there's a different sort of process, meditative process involved. And so, you know, of course, a common question that I get about my work is time. It's large scale and there's a lot of it. How long does it take? But I don't think of it that way. I think of it as, you know, this is just time that's been spent meditating. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 156th episode, our very first of 2016, Shelby Shadwell joins us once again to talk art and what is going on in his studio practice in Wyoming. So please stay tuned for that. Of course, we have many other episodes available on Studio Break, so please check them out. You can go to iTunes as well and scroll back through all the episodes that you have missed. And as always, uh, please check us out on Facebook and like our page. You can follow our Tumblr account, that's studio-break.tumblr. And last but not least, please send us your tweets at Studio Break. And with that out of the way, here is our interview with Shelby Shadwell. Stay tuned. Welcome to a new year of Studio Break. How are you, Shelby? Uh, I'm, I'm great, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on again. And uh, it's... Happy 2016, bright and early. Right on. But again, I, I was looking back through the records. March 2013 is when you last made an appearance. So I believe wow. at the time you were talking about, um, you know, uh, diapers and uh, potentially making uh, some diaper-based art. Again, you're now a father, and I'm sure that'll be something that we'll kind of discuss in terms of how it's maybe uh, influenced the work. So, yeah, like I, I'm a father now. I wasn't. Was I a father then, too? <laughs> you don't know how old your um, child is? 12, Come on. 12, 8, 12 <laughs> is when my son was born. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I guess I was a dad at that point. If it was 2013, March 2013. I, I guess that's good to, to talk about in terms of, um, you know, for other artists listening, you know, that may not have kids or, you know, uh, be like I was kind of like. So, for example, I, I, I never thought I was going to get in the studio again. You know, like in those nine months up to the child being born. And I was terrified about that. (laughs) And uh, interestingly enough, since then, I've done more work than I did before my son was born. I don't know if I just don't mess, you know, just goof off as much or. You can't watch Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. Comedians in cars with coffee spilling yeah, it or whatever. Exactly. So, I, <laughs> I, I, but I, I, I've done a ton of work since then, and the diapers were sort of the 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 trifecta of that sort of subject matter I was dealing with in terms of fears and anxieties. So the trash bags. I'm a very clean person, even though mm-hmm. all I do is play with dirt. <laughs> versus the uh, uh, the cockroaches and my sort of. Uh, loathing of, of insects in a way. And, uh, and then the fear and anxiety of, of being a dad mm-hmm. represented in the, the diaper imagery. Uh, and, and I've sort of worked through a lot of that and, uh, I've, I've transitioned to, uh, thinking about some newer things, some different things, some changing some things up with this new body of work. And you can see on your end in the background in terms of, you know, the video, the combination of the three subject matters with the cockroaches and the diapers and the trash bags uh, just in this – as a transition into this uh, sort of uh, newer bodies of work and ways of thinking about work and, and subject matter. That body of work, of course, is a universal picture that comes from the opening credits to uh, John Carpenter's 1982 masterpiece, The Thing. Uh, the very first thing you see is a universal picture. And that, you know, my whole thinking behind sort of horror films and fears and anxieties uh, was a great title for that work. The new body of work is called Comedy, uh, uh, C-O-M-D-I-E. So it's kind of a play on words, come, die, um, (laughs) comedy, 
and and so I'm transitioning into into some some newer things, and I'm I'm trying to um, bring a little bit of absurdity uh, or humor in, mm-hmm. into my work. I think uh, I may have mentioned this to you before, but I think you know, thinking about artwork and what we do as artists, there's. There, there's something absurd about it. There's something very serious about it, but it's also could be looked at in a very absurd way. Like what we do, we make things, we make images, we make things that are totally in, in, in some ways, metaphysically completely impractical. And so I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I'm always telling students too, you know, we're not trying to save the world here. And, and I think absurdity and humor are great tools, not just in, terms of visual art, but just in communicating ideas throughout our culture. I mean, you think of the success of The Daily Show uh, or The Colbert Report, things like that, where humor and absurdity and comedy are very, extremely effective tools in terms of of communicating ideas. And I'm trying to slowly bring more of that into into this newer body of work that I'm starting. And I think it'll be really exciting because I I did uh, listen to my previous interview once and just it's interesting to gauge like what i was thinking then versus what i'm thinking now and how Mm -hmm. far that has sort of come and uh so i'll I'll be interested to see in like two or three years listening back to this interview to see you know what happened uh and how it happened um when you're making a new body of work, you don't always know i was i was thinking about writing some kind of an artist statement but you really can't do that in the process of of the exploration i think it's more you you have to have some hindsight before it makes any sense to write some kind of artist statement so i don't know what i'm doing right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think it just starts with maybe injecting some absurdity some humor into my work uh trying some things i haven't tried before and uh and i'm i'm it's really exciting no, I think that's interesting, and it makes me think of some of the other bodies of work that I'm familiar with that, um, you know, you've kind of always played around with humor in some aspect, you know, or if it was like a, you know, a series of drawings of still life objects that have interesting titles or, you know, just kind of taking and, and creating an entirely new meaning for something. Um, it seems like you've always been kind of including some of that in there. And I think, again, it's interesting because through these conversations, too, I mean, this is your third time appearing on here. And again, I think the other one was maybe a little bit shorter, of like an update one. But I like this idea of kind of having people return and uh, kind of see where they're going. Because it's interesting to hear you say, like, you know, you kind of have an idea where you're at maybe a few years ago, and then you listen back to something and you're like, oh, man. Um, and to see the way that that kind of keeps changing. Um, you know, again, I, I, w- I can't help but imagine that uh, cockroaches and bugs and you know, things hovering uh, around piles of uh, uh, feces, um, diapers, whatever. Um, and then some of the other juxtapositions that you have with these cockroaches and these bugs. I mean, um, is that something, too, where, I don't know, you, you kind of want to play around with this disturbed kind of like unseen world or these things that we don't maybe pay attention to? Um, and I don't know, maybe that's a stretch or... Yeah, no, no. I think that's I think that's absolutely what I'm still thinking about, and where things uh, are kind of going in a way. You know, I, maybe we talked about this in one of our interviews, but of course, film being so important and cinema being so important to sort of my thinking, I think film is is sort of the quintessential artwork of our time. And you know, you think back to um, David Lynch and like. Um, which one was it? Blue Velvet at the the opening sequence where mm-hmm. it's like this this neighborhood and then there, but there's all this these these bugs that are sort of churning under the ground and they become this metaphor for this just kind of the gnarliness that you don't see necessarily mm-hmm. and so where I'm I'm kind of going is I'm adding in different imagery. Again, just sort of absurd, but maybe it's more a metaphor for the the human psyche uh, to some extent. And you think about fears, anxieties, uh, repulsions of things, but you also think of of contrasting attractions of things. So where I'm going now is, at least in in the near term, is sort of inserting a a, a sort of sexuality into the work as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So I have tarantulas uh, juxtaposed with uh, sex, a sex toy, 
and I'm thinking of doing, you know, a, um, a rattlesnake with a vibrator and uh, calling it buzzworm because, mm-hmm. you know, rattlesnake, buzzworm, you know, vibrator, buzzworm kind of a thing. So sexuality being this this sort of also an underlying part of our, our psyches and just the, the juxtaposition of those things hopefully creates an interesting dialogue for viewers. I mean, there's not one reading for that necessarily, and I'm a little uh, wary about the use of this particular imagery um, uh, just because I don't know how people react to it. Mm-hmm. And if they'll react negatively or or more positively or if I don't get into any shows because <laughs> it's a taboo somehow – um, but I, you got to take the risks, you know, uh, and I feel compelled to, uh, use this imagery, sex toys juxtaposed with, with these insects or reptiles or animals. Um, I read a, uh, really great book actually. Um, I think since we talked last time called, uh, the infested mind, why people fear, loathe and love insects and it's by um, a colleague of mine here at the University of Wyoming named Jeffrey Lockwood. I encourage your listeners to check out this book and he talks about people's aversions to insects and and but also attractions to insects. There's mm-hmm. a a uh, and this is definitely not me, but there there is people do have a a sort of I don't know if you can call it a fetish or a or a proclivity to uh, get turned on by having insects crawl on their body. And I don't know. It's really interesting, though, where, where you can have this sort of repulsion and attraction at the same time. And um, so I don't know. I, I, and again, like I mentioned earlier, it's hard to kind of talk about these things while in the process of making them because I'm not sh- – you know, I think hindsight sure. be – more 2020 as far as that's concerned. But um, I think I feel compelled to take some risks with my imagery moving forward. And and I'm super excited about it, but I'm also very apprehensive in the sense that, you know, is anybody going to want to show this work? Is Are people going to read this work in a way that um, is somehow, you know, negative? But um, I'm not... I'm not – the, the compulsion to make the work is, is more overriding than my sort of fears of <laughs> how, how it may or may not be shown in the future, if that makes any sense. I think it totally makes sense. I was actually thinking all of those were thoughts. It's like, you know, how much of this is just to kind of make it so that people are like okay with the subject? Because you kind of already had, had talked about that idea of, of, of just not knowing what you want to do and having some impulse and kind of writing that out and, and just seeing what kind of happens with it. And yeah. I don't know, just to listen to you talk about it, it makes me think um, – and I don't know if this is because it's 2016, it's the new year, uh, you know, people just woke up a couple of hours ago and now we're supposed to be talking about life and all of its complexities. But, you know, like I, as a middle-aged man, I guess I am now, um, you start thinking about just the, the nature of the the fact that things are going to be gone someday or I'm going to be gone or, you know, and so I think there's a level of... I don't know, play with the way that you're entitling these two in terms of come die and kind of yeah. referencing a comedy, you know, it's kind of like this thing where, you know, it kind of is a big comedy, you know, and you kind of have to choose a route to it, you know? Yeah. And I think, yeah. again, I think that's what's so interesting about it too, is to kind of, you know, really kind of work up and develop like a, a real tight body of work and then to be able to kind of transition this into something else. And so maybe some of those were material based in terms of maybe like the bags, you know, transitioning to diapers and things like that, and maybe kind of exploring that. But I'm, I'm interested in, in just seeing, you know, what, um, what gets played up, especially with some of these other works that we were, you know, talking about beforehand, some of these non-objective works. Cause one of the things that's really apparent too, you know, looking at these drawings and thinking about the scale of them, cause they're, you know, like human size, you start seeing all these textures and all these marks and, you know, all of these things that especially I would imagine on that scale that you work at, some of your drawings are like, what, eight feet tall? 
Is that right? I mean, again, I would yeah. imagine that texture, that um, physicality is something that also maybe starts to drive that other area of you. So maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about that, some of the, the that transition um, into the, some of these other new pieces that you've been working on and maybe describe them a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to touch on w- one thing that you mentioned about the other work, uh, this sort of comedy work, you know, I think – what I'm I'm going for definitely is this sense of life being an absurd comedy, you know. And you think about all these basic parts of human existence: fear, anxiety, love, sex, death, birth. I think that's all going to be evident in my work, or maybe I'm touching on these things that are. Uh, maybe more of the human condition. Uh, comedy is also the title, uh, the way it's spelled, uh, of a uh, novel by uh, uh, Balzac, uh, which is also kind of funny in, in the <laughs> name, in the context of things. Uh, I don't know if you want to edit that out or not, but um, I haven't read it yet. But it's this sort of sweeping uh, epic of uh, talking about uh, uh, life. And uh, so I think that'll play into the the work eventually. Um, now, as for this this other work that I'm doing that you touched on, sort of this non-objective work that I've just uh, sort of been exploring. At, at the same time, I'm doing I'm working with images, um, you know, uh, images of diapers or, or cockroaches or trash bags. Um, there's 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 a lot that come of baggage that comes with imagery and using imagery, and I want to also explore. Or I've always wanted to kind of explore something that's non-objective. You know, I, I, I was never a huge fan of non-objective imagery or artwork um, for most much of my early life and career mm-hmm. um, until, you know, I, I kept looking at it, knowing the history of it. But we were just talking about this, and this is timely with the death of Ellsworth Kelly. But when I was in L.A. Uh, some number of years ago, I saw... Uh, Ellsworth Kelly's non-objective paintings in person and something clicked where I finally got it. You know, I understood it. And and what I understood about it was there's a formal optical nature to these things, uh, to these non-objective works and successful ones are very optical and they'll like burn through your eyeballs almost. Mm -hmm. And it becomes an experience that's a little, that's just, that's just unique and that always stuck with me. And so the opportunity has arisen here now because I've got these sort of three overlapping shows and a bunch of stuff coming up uh, to explore making some non-objective work that has this opticality to it. Now, when I'm working with representational imagery, I'm, of course, dealing with the same thing, opticality. This, the fact that these marks turn over and we recognize them in an illusory sense is that's always fascinating Mm -hmm. but working with this non-objective imagery or these lines uh that uh, it's optical too and it it's just a slightly different discussion it doesn't have the baggage of of uh of imagery if, if that makes any sense and, and I feel like it's the right time to sort of explore it. So you can kind of see some of these things. Um, and, you know, we were looking at them. You were looking at them, and I was too, on the screen, the computer screen. And mm-hmm. you could just see how they move your, and, and, and just create uh, lines in your eyeballs and things like that. And it's really an interesting experience making this work. And so I don't know where that's going to go. I, 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 I'm glad that I've you know, again, taking that kind of risk to make it. And, uh, so far it's, it's been really great. And it's, it's actually been more just nice, uh, for me to get rid of imagery, uh, for this particular, uh, direction. Um, there's something really wonderful about that and sort of freeing. And you look at somebody like Gerhard Richter, uh, you know, and who does imagery, but then he does the non-objective work and it's, you know, I, I can get why he would want to explore different things and not just the same thing all the time. And um, see that with a lot of artists. And and as I get a little further on in my career, I feel some kind of kinship, you know, 
uh, with with that and and understand it. Whereas earlier in my career, I wouldn't. Well, and I think it's about having, I guess, the patience and the the mindfulness to kind of take some different approach. You know, you kind of mentioned your kind of working relationship with students earlier, and, and again, I know that you're a super enthusiastic uh, drawing teacher. You turn out really great work from your students too, but. I think it's important to kind of recognize that maybe one exercise might be something then that it's different. You know, it's okay to explore these different worlds in different ways. Um, and I guess even to kind of relate it to something that you were talking about with the absurdity of being an artist, you know, if you talk to anybody that is retired from uh, a long career and they don't particularly like what they did and they don't particularly have any hobbies, um, it doesn't seem like they're fulfilled either. So to kind of have this lifelong uh, obsession or exploration of something and to kind of look for these new kind of fresh approaches, I mean, again, I think that that's really interesting. And I don't know, I, I, I like thinking about taking a break from that. And even though I'm reaching here, I think it's also interesting to think about, like, in some ways, it's like you're almost being projected, like, into part of, like, a smaller area of one of the surfaces of one of these drawings and then just blowing it up. But I think that's one of the things that's really interesting. And I, I don't know if we included a link to the video of your, your drawing process. Again, you've got a great video on your website. Um, you know, so again, obviously, we'll post that. But again, everybody else can go just go to shelbyshadwell.com. But you know, again, you kind of see all the, the layering and kind of build up. And, and again, to me, it makes sense to kind of want to explore that. And so I guess one of the things that you talked about is also this relationship of like a, a large optical kind of um, thing. Um, what are the scale of these going to be? And again, where, I, I did have somebody ask this. Where does someone find a really massive paper? Do you have to get that uh, specialty made by little else? Yeah, great question. So yeah, uh, I'm working with the uh, last of my 80-inch paper. Uh, it was on an 80-inch roll, uh, and this is the the last of it, I think. Uh, I inherited that from my printmaking professor, uh, Joel Feldman, in graduate school at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. When he uh, retired and moved out of his studio, he uh, gifted that to me, and I'm very, very grateful, remain grateful for that, because you can't find an 80-inch roll of fine drawing paper. I think the largest you can find is probably 60 inches. Mm -hmm. uh, and so one of these that I have going now is on that on the 60-inch roll, and one is 80 inches. But I have moved uh, in my working process uh, away from paper to prepared portrait linen, uh, and prepared polyester, which is sort of a newer material that painters have been working on that comes in 85-inch rolls. Mm -hmm. And I think you can even get stuff that's larger than that, maybe even 120 inches. I don't know. But I, I, I need the scale. I need something that's of a scale that's beyond 60 inches. And I just can't find that in paper uh, right now. I, I put this – I may have talked about this last time, but I think it's important to think – and, and have a relationship with your materials that is like a human relationship where mm -hmm. you have negotiation and compromise with those materials because no, there's not one thing that's going to do everything for you. And, and you need to treat your materials as you would another person with respect and, and compromise with them. If you don't, I mean, you think about a relationship with another person where there's no compromise and you, you, you get angry at them and, and then, well, then you end that relationship. That relationship is not a healthy relationship. Uh, same thing with your materials. So for instance, paper does some things, wonderful things. Paper is the most wonderful surface to work on in the methods that, that I use. Uh, it's uh, very malleable. Uh, it's got a great surface, but it's got downsides too. It's, uh, it's, it, it doesn't come in as large a size as I need it to. It's more fragile. So another material comes along, you know, prepared uh, polyester, prepared portrait linen. And when I say prepared, I mean uh, gessoed at the factory, like quadruple mm -hmm. primed. And it's a, a very smooth surface and a, and a wonderful surface. And so this other material comes along and it's like, well, you don't have a surface that's quite as nice as paper, uh, but you're more sturdy. You, uh, you still do a lot of the things that I need you to do. I, I can work with you. you know? mm -hmm. And so I, I, I say, okay, paper, we're going to break up for a little while. I'm going to try out this new material. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of how things have been going, uh, as far as materials are concerned. Um, 
And I, I love working on the, these other prepared surfaces. I still love paper, but again, you can't find it that that large. So prepared uh, portrait linen. Now it's very expensive. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a downside to it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you ha- again, it's all negotiation uh, with those materials and um, and 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 looking at it as a relationship and not as something where you have to impose your will absolutely over your materials just, you know, cause you wouldn't do that to another person and it's not healthy to do it with your materials either. If that makes any sense. No, I think that makes sense. And it's interesting to hear you talk about materials like that. And I think, I don't know, the longer that you kind of keep working, hopefully the more that you kind of keep noticing or paying attention or, you know, just figuring out new tricks or, you know, just new ways of handling something. So, you know, one of the things that I'm I'm really fascinated, too, by by the size of these drawings, and I think I might have shared this anecdotally with you because uh, I asked my – I showed I showed that film one semester to my students, and they all freaked out, um, you know, just, just to see this massive uh, drawing of cockroaches and seeing this example. And I think I even texted you. It's like, you know, how long does it take you to make one of these? Is that something that is also kind of – interesting in exploring some of these other bodies of work is is that relationship of time because i would imagine some of these might take a hundred hours to finish and and maybe it might be i don't know something where by like hour 50 you're like damn why don't i just paint squares or something you know i don't know yeah. yeah yeah no no that's a great point um and i think that's it, it, you know, dealing with imagery versus dealing with these sort of abstractions or abstract imagery, optical imagery, which all all they are are just lines, vertical lines, uh, one right next to each other on the surface of the the paper or, or whatever. Um, and it's a different. It, it, I've always looked at it as meditation, you know, uh, in 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 really a deeply sort of philosophical way. Getting back to this idea of the meaning of life and, and philosophy and, and things like that. I mean, I think uh, making something is is my way of sort of combating the absurdities of and the tragedies of, of life. And making something is a meditative process, but it's a different meditation when you're dealing with imagery versus these sort of abstractions. I think there's a much more pure sort of act of meditation in, in making abstract work, at least for me, with the repetition of it and everything, than, than the actual working from observation or, or, or from imagery. Uh, there's a, there's a different sort of process, meditative process involved. And so, you know, of course, a common question that I get about my work is time. It's large scale and there's a lot of it. How long does it take? But I don't think of it that way. I think of it as, you know, this is just time that's been spent meditating. Well, maybe to differentiate that for a second, too. I mean, I'm looking at it like if you think about like somebody that's working non-objectively, you know, they might have 50, you know, prepared surfaces and they might layer things up and layer things up. And, you know, everything is like a short session in mm-hmm. terms of, of work. And then maybe they, you know, keep repainting over half of them and then slowly they kind of make something um, come out of that. You know, mm-hmm. I think of that as a different process, maybe in some regards. But I, that's what I'm trying to get at: is is that process also kind of different? Because yeah. when you bring up that idea of meditation, I think about again the the amount of just focused effort it takes to kind of resolve something. And I think that's also something that might be interesting about representation too. If you're really working from observation too, for some of these, I would imagine that like there's this um, there's this impetus to follow that through. Whereas if you're just you know painting you know, geometric shapes, which is something that I've been known to do, you know, it's just like, oh, I just don't like that. Paint that out. And then you come back to it. You know, it's a different kind of thing, I think. Absolutely. No, that, that's a really good point, because I think that um, th- it is fundamentally uh, uh, different in a way. Um, so with these non-objective line drawings that I've been doing, they've changed quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. over this process of of making them. At first, they were very gestural sort of the gestural line and then the, then i was like no this is not going to work and and i got out you know a giant a big straight edge and and uh and then i got out some graphite and they've changed and and they've sort of morphed 
And now I have a better idea of well, what would I, what I would do here moving forward with the, the next ones that I do. And I have a good idea of, of how that might go. But of course, with the imagery and working representationally, it was much more, yeah, I mean, it was much more of a convergent process where I knew, you know, what I wanted. And it mm-hmm. was just an act of, of sort of completion, completing that. And with this non-objective work, it's more, at least in the first couple pieces, it's been much more about uh, being responsive to the, the work itself um, and, and allowing that to, to sort of develop in a way. But I think I could do these, you know, just like also very – in a very convergent way where I'm just like, well, I'm just going to erase these lines top mm-hmm. to bottom, very solid wit kind of idea, you know, giving myself these parameters of um, uh, in terms of their creation. Um, I would say, you know, and, 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 you know, people like Frank Stella, Saul Wet, Ellsworth Kelly, these are people, again, that I really dismissed earlier in my art making career, but have become more and more important to me and my thinking as I've matured, I think, as an artist. I mean, you know, if, if you look at my work, you might think, of artists like uh, that have influenced me, uh, you know, being more representational mm-hmm. painters or drawers, and that's just not the case. I think I think that what interests me more are, you know, maybe more minimalist uh, conceptual types of artists, hard edge painters, you know, which may seem counterintuitive, but I think that I, I'm in some ways transitioning in my thinking more uh, it, it, to, the, to those ways of, of sort of thinking and making work or at least thinking about them in terms of what I'm making, mm-hmm. even if it is representational work. It's absurd what we do, again, as artists. And, and, and it's much more it's, – it's, it's, life is absurd too, but it, it's, it's something that's interesting – that uh, in in terms of of we make these things and we you know somehow justify making them <laughs> sure uh, and it, that can be hard to do or it can be sometimes complex and it, we're still trying to figure it out much and much less you know having viewers you know be engaged in that conversation as well. Well, no, I th- I think that's interesting because I, I I think there's like you know to listen to you talk about this. I mean, you certainly kind of explore different ideas and different bodies of work and to think about my work i I can't help but think there's also like a certain fatalist like uh you know to to borrow from uh the movie fight club uh you're you're polishing the brass on the titanic you know like (laughs) this is all going to disappear um so the thing that is interesting to me to listen you talk about that too is there's something absurd about i don't know wanting to leave a mark um and maybe not I don't look at it maybe like leaving a mark, like I'm looking at like I want to be in the Met, I want my collection, wherever, I don't know. But there's something to this idea about kind of making these artifacts um, maybe that kind of get back to something or even, you know, to something tangential that we talk to is this idea of, um, you know, people commissioning works or, you know, purchasing works and, and having them or kind of just that dialogue that kind of happens and, and kind of maybe hopefully kind of enriches people's lives. But I think that's something that's, I don't know, it's an ad admirable kind of thing to maybe strive for you know even even if you're not making a jeff coons uh you know dog uh for somebody's mansion you know it could be just like a simple uh painting of a a, an apple or something i don't know something that kind of outlives you and also again kind of like hopefully bring some uh higher meaning than you know maybe some of the paintings that you see kicking around a resale shop let's let's hope we don't wind up i don't know one of those people although i feel bad for saying that almost (laughs) Well, you know, actually, I think you're touching on a really important thing in something that's changed for me throughout my art-making career as well. You know, I used to think, you know, I'm doing this uh, in a way to sort of live forever. You know, I'm going to get into collections. I'm going to, you know, have my work in museums and things like that. But I think actually now I've transitioned more – again, it goes back to this question of time Mm -hmm. and – why I'm making these is it is it so that I have something of myself that goes on after I I perish and I guess there's still something to that but right now what I'm thinking about more is going back to this act of meditation the making itself 
is what's enriching my life as opposed to this idea of sort of living forever. Does that does that make sense? Like, you, no, you, I th- I think that totally makes sense. It, it's it's more about uh, I'm a very philosophically minded person, and I I think about you know meaning of life and 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 in all of the absurdity, uh, in all of the tragedy, uh, and and it's the actual act. That's why you know when people ask me how long did that take, it's it's more a question. Well, it was just me meditating for a certain amount of time. I don't look back on that. It was just me living life. Mm-hmm. And making something which I think there's inherent value in that. And it may even be the highest value is for oneself to make something, to uh, uh, write, mm-hmm. uh, make artwork, make a film. You know, I think that those things might be the point of the art making more now than having something of myself live on beyond my existence. Well, and I'm going to, I don't know, we might have to edit some of this out, but I I think one thing that I'm kind of curious about too is where your experience um, essentially becoming a hunter is also uh, maybe something that influences that experience because you talk about meditation, you know, and again, for anybody that maybe hasn't um, spent some time out in the wilderness, but you think about these kind of experiences where you're out in nature, I think that also might be something that winds up um, influencing that or, you know, hopefully is something that interjects into that. Cause I think one of the other traps, um, and maybe, you know, I'm going to have to edit quite a bit here, <laughs> okay. um, but like, you know, I guess one of the other traps too, is just kind of becoming fully immersed in like a, a digital realm of experience. And so I think that's something that's really, I don't know, I can't help but wonder about it because I would think that that would be something that is, so related almost to art making, you know, like the, the patience, the almost labor that goes involved into being out in the field, you know, moving slowly over the course of a day. But I mean, is that something that kind of, I don't know, in a way kind of influences um, some of the things that you're thinking about with, with some of the things that you're working on comedy die, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So with, with hunting, yeah, I do, I do see it as a, as a deeply uh, important activity as a human being, um, personally, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be doing it unless I knew I had a colleague here, David Jones, who, who basically taught me how to do it and goes with me and I go with him and, you know, hunting partners, uh, basically, uh, no, no lions, no, no endangered no, species. No, no, so just, everybody can, the whole thing is, is, <laughs> is food based. You know, after reading Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma, you know, that was before I started hunting. But I thought – I think it's really important – you know, food is something that's so, I mean, integral (laughs) and important Mm -hmm. to our being. But it seemed to – it seems to have maybe in some ways lost some of that power over the years. I don't know. But, you know, to to actually go out there and, you know, get your – kill something. To, to sustain your life is is a is a deeply uh, uh, sort of existential experience that makes you think about you know your life and, and experience uh, in a, in a very important way um, and that's why I do it I don't I, I'm not I'm not I don't shoot lions and things like <laughs> that uh, and I, nor would I ever uh, right. the reason I hunt is is, is ethical uh, for the ethical procurement of a certain amount of my food um, what I, I, and I do think that 's really important i 've thought more about hunting since I got into it uh, in terms of of film and horror movies and um, in the sense of camouflage mm-hmm. uh, we wear camouflage out there to try to hide from the animals. I don't know if it works or not. Uh, but you see in all horror films uh, or, or monster movies, I guess we should say, rather than horror films, monster movies, um, you don't see the monster, you know, whether it's the thing and it looks like everybody else or whether it's a predator and it's got that really cool mm-hmm. light bending camouflage <laughs> or whether it's Jaws and it's under the water where you don't see it or whether it's the Terminator and it looks like everyone else. Every single one of these monster movies, the scary thing, the monster, is tries to hide, hide. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny going out when you go out hunting and to, th- to think about that. And, of course, if – you know, in some of my work, especially some of the more uh, complicated bug drawings, 
you sort of lose the illusion and you can look at it in sort of a camouflage kind of a way. It becomes just sort of a decorative uh, sort of camouflage. So I'm, I, I, what I want to do eventually is to have a, like a one of my drawings maybe on a, on a really skin-tight type of uh, – and this is just – I'm just throwing <laughs> this uh, – like but on a really skin-tight piece of clothing that – one would wear and it would go over the head and everything and then this person would would be in the gallery sort of blending in with the, the bug uh, drawings in sort of a camouflage kind of a way. Um, I think you need to talk to, to Bass Pro World and, and see maybe if they'll they'll start making you like tarantula, you know, covered uh, uh, gear, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm – this is this is stuff that's just mulling <laughs> over. You know, you can have an idea for something and see it to completion, whether in that same form or whether in a totally different form years down the line. It, it, it's a lifelong process, but you know, you could have these ideas at, at one time and then they become important either in and of themselves and actually get made in that form somewhere down the line, or they just influence something else mm-hmm. that you do down the line. It's a it's it's a lifelong uh, process when you're thinking about ideas and making work and mulling these these things over. In terms of just a timetable, what's coming up? Um, what are some projects that that you're working on? I know that you have some exhibitions and are giving some a talk, I believe. But um, could you just let us know what what's uh, what's coming on in the world of Shelby Shadwell? And absolutely. Um, so right now, I've got a solo exhibition up at the Portland Art Museum in Oregon. Uh, it's going to be up until March of 2016, beginning of March. So there's still time to go see that. It's Apex Space on the fourth floor at the Center for Northwest Art. Um, it's a great show, uh, and they treated me really awesome. Uh, and so, uh, folks, if you're in Oregon, you should definitely go check that out. It's an unbelievably cool art museum. Uh, great collections. And Portland's a really cool town, and I was really happy to be able to go there and, and check that out. Uh, in addition, overlapping that, I'm going to have a, a group show in Dayton, Ohio, at the Dayton Visual Arts Center. And that is called Gesture Control. It's a group show with myself, uh, Wesley Berg, a colleague, friend of mine uh, from Dayton, uh, also does large-scale charcoal drawings and uh, – it's and then there's two other folks in the show. So there's Wesley and I do sort of drawing charcoal based work, and then there's two painters that they've paired us with, and it's it's going to be a really awesome show there at the Dayton Visual Arts Center. I'm going to be there a couple of times mid January for the opening reception, and then at the end of February for a talk. Overlapping that, I have a show at Bloomsburg University in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, a solo show which I'll be visiting. Uh, that's at the the Haas Gallery of Art. There at Bloomsburg University, I'm, I'm just sending out all these things this next week, I think. I'll be in Champaign-Urbana uh, for a uh, drawing event uh, in March, uh, eight to create, eight hours to do a large-scale work. I'm, uh, and so I'll be there visiting and talking uh, about my work and, and things like that. I'll be having a show at the – a solo exhibition at the um, College of Southern Nevada in Las Vegas in uh, I think around May. I'll be having a solo show in Fort Collins at uh, Colorado State University. So that, that's – that's, this is a really, really busy time. And um, <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> it's really good uh, and I'm, I'm really happy about it. Uh, about all these events. I think, you know, my friend Patrick Keycut talks about, you know, how do you define success as a, as a visual artist? And I think he, he does it in a really interesting way. He's like, you know, I want to, I want to have just enough things going on to where I have to turn down two or three things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really interesting measure of success because, uh, that means you're really active. And 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 you ju- you have just enough going on where you have to turn down a couple of things. So I feel like I'm I'm uh, at that uh, point right now, and I, I look forward to maybe not having as busy an exhibition schedule uh, for a year or so <laughs> before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll be posting about these events on my website after the fact. Uh, but also, um, I have a Facebook page artist page mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. i announce these things and keep people up to date 
uh, before these events. So that's just Shelby Shadwell Creative Research on Facebook. I find that to be very helpful uh, to let people know what's going on before um, events, and then I usually post about them with with pictures on my on my website after the fact. Go and uh, become a fan of. Uh... Shelby Shadwell Creative Research on uh, Facebook. Again, it's interesting when you kind of have someone come up to you that you aren't expect to kind of meet and just kind of talk. And again, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about having a podcast or doing a podcast where you can kind of invite artists to kind of continue to be a part of that as you kind of see the way that their work changes. But then, you know, there's also like a level of actually interacting with people in a way that, you know, like I was saying maybe before is kind of I don't know, something I want. I want more interaction, real world interaction this year in 2016, baby. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, again, I hope people come out and, and check it out and go uh, visit those places to be informed. Um, and, of course, please, uh, Shelby, uh, be sure to, to, to nudge us and uh, share these on Facebook's uh, Studio Break page. Again, I would encourage listeners as well. Again, this is in the episode outside of commercials. Um, you know, that page is open. So if you've got something interesting going on, uh, you know, share it and let people know about it. So, gosh, uh, the last thing, again, I feel like I have anecdotal things now to add at this point because I think we've covered some interesting uh, philosophical, thoughtful stuff today. When do you start making your own charcoal? Um, is there? Can you get in contact with Weber? Could they make a good charcoal for you? I think that <laughs> would be pretty question. awesome. Um, I feel like yeah. you should have like some. You should have like some weird, uh, you know, connoisseur of uh, specialized charcoal manufacturers being approach approaching you for sponsorship. But oh, I'd love that. Uh, <laughs> but it just doesn't. It just doesn't quite happen. You know, I thought about making my own charcoal at one point. I asked a colleague or. A, uh, about it, and they kind of indicated um, that it's not worth it. By the way, that colleague uh, was my drawing one professor at Washington University in St. Louis, uh, John Sabra, a very interesting artist, uh, now is in Ohio. I think he's department head. Um, but he has gained some attention for he makes his own paint pigments, oh. but he makes them out of toxic chemical spills or, you know, like, I, I don't know. It's really cool stuff. But he, it, I, so I asked him if making my own charcoal was worth anything. And he said, it's, it's really not, not particularly worth it unless it's important to the meaning of the, the piece. It's very hard, I think, and difficult and time consuming, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think I'd like to use, um, someday, you know, uh, I, I'd be interested to see, uh, using, um, you know, some briquettes, charcoal briquettes, uh, and if, see if that works at all. I don't know. Um, uh, but there's something like, you know, kind of – I've always thought about doing that. It hasn't come up yet. But I, I usually just get uh, those giant charcoal chunks um, uh, that, that that do a pretty good job. Is there a particular brand? I know I, – I feel like we've – I've probably asked this before, but I guess since we're still talking, I'm curious about that. You know, is there a particular brand of charcoal that you're like – this is the stuff. Uh, you know, I use – I think it's that General's Giant Caveman Charcoal Chunk. <laughs> um, it's great for that initial toning of a surface. Mm -hmm. uh, I use – I'm a big fan of um, the Faber-Castell uh, Pit brand, black compressed charcoal. Uh, and then I use New Pastel, um, Black Pastel. Those three are really great. And then I use uh, – some charcoal pencils here and there from time to time. I use the, uh, my favorite tool is actually the, um, tough stuff eraser stick paper mate, tough stuff eraser stick. It's a, it's a retractable refillable pencil style eraser. And that's, that's, I just use that for everything. Really love that particular tool. I wish they, they, they don't make them anymore, but electric erasing machine, Stadler, uh, Mars electric erasing machine, they don't make it anymore. So, uh, you have to look for them on eBay or other sites and, and the people that are in the know charge like $200 for them because they know they're not being made. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, you don't have draftsmen, you don't have architectural draftsmen anymore that would use those. So, um, unfortunately it's, it's like with Amber Crombie and Fitch's woods scent, they stopped yeah. manufacturing that you, you can buy quarter bottles for $200 on eBay. I got to give me some of that. You, know? <laughs> you might need a whole charcoal scent, yeah. charcoal scented materials. We'll, we'll edit this out, Shelby. Don't worry. Or Are we'll leave sure? it in somewhere at the end so people can get like a little Easter egg if they. Oh yeah. 
Well, then let's uh, record like an enthusiastic um, outro. So it's been wonderful having a, a guest already for the new year, and hopefully uh, people will uh, enjoy this rambling conversation. That's my it's my goal <laughs> is to is to leave a little bit more of the ramble this year. So uh, again, thanks so much, Shelby, for for talking to me this morning. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks, thanks, David, uh, and and to to all the the listeners out there. I think um, it's important to note that I I think what you're doing, David, with this podcast is really important and really uh, worthwhile. And I would encourage um, any of your listeners uh, to throw you a couple bucks. I think they can donate right on your page. It's it's weird because you feel like you're asking for alms, but again, yeah, it's it's kind of funny too because when that when that uh, renewal for hosting comes around, you're like, oh, gosh. You know, it comes with <laughs> yeah. other bills. But, yeah, I mean, that's always cool. Um, yeah. I don't know. Although I'm planning a wedding and this is now a long outro, uh, <laughs> I just hope people uh, will take the time to say hello. And, of course, uh, go out and meet Shelby in person uh, when he comes around on tour. So, yeah, check out shelbyshadwell.com and say hello on Studio Break on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. And other than that, again, uh, Shelby, thanks so much. Yeah, and if you're ever in um, Laramie, Wyoming, uh, come see me at the University of Wyoming. Um it's 20 below right now. So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, uh, thanks again, Dave. Thanks once again to Shelby. Please check out his website, shelbyshadwell.com. And also please like his uh, Facebook page, Shelby Shadwell Creative Research. You can also check out his work at the Portland Art Museum. It's up through March, and you can find a link right in this very blog post. And you can also check out his work at Gesture Control at the Dayton Visual Art Center, opening January 15th. I'd also remind new listeners that you can find episodes of Studio Break on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and these lengthy interviews. There's a big archive. If you look over on the left sidebar, you can go back and scroll month by month or do what a lot of other people do. Subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and when you subscribe there, you can go back through our archive very easily. So please check that out as well. And if you want New Year's karma, you can always leave us uh, some positive feedback in iTunes and help others find this podcast. Again, a lot of podcast listeners around the world. You can also help out by spreading the word on social media and liking our Facebook page. Again, we provide updates of new guests and opportunities, and please feel free to share your opportunities and other things. So check that out on our Facebook page. Again, you can follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr and send us all sorts of cool art at Studio Break on Twitter. And of course, thanks so much to Skylar Mail for providing the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at skylarmail.com. And, of course, check my artwork out at davidlinaway.com. And I guess since we are starting this 2016 off right again, I hope to continue to do that. As you might have heard in the podcast, I'm getting married this June, so it's a little hectic, a little busy with planning. But I do want to keep rolling things out, and hopefully we have a uh, video format at some point coming soon. So, uh, of course, keep tuned for that or stay tuned. And aside from all that, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.